From Washington, this is the HPS Macrocast with Hamilton Place Strategies and Markets Policy Partners. Hello, it's Tuesday, April 27th. You're listening to the, a special edition of the HPS Macrocast. I'm Matt McDonald with Hamilton Place Strategies. I'm here with partner in crime, Brennan Walsh from Markets Policy Partners, and we have a special guest, Matt Delorfano. And we're going to take a deeper dive today and check out uh, what's happening on the inflation front, what we're seeing from companies, what that means for monetary policy going forward. I find it to be like a really interesting moment to look at this stuff where you have, you basically don't have a generation in charge of some of the stuff that has dealt with it kind of in their professional career. I mean, some of this stuff is really just passed from memory. The people who were in charge at the time or when last time the U.S. really dealt with inflation are largely gone from the scene. And it's really interesting. It feels like it took a, a, a generation to kind of work that memory out. And now it's it's interesting. Everybody's reading the tea leaves and no one's quite sure what they're going to say or how the policymakers are going to respond. Yeah. And that's kind of where I w- there's a lot of talk about inflation, a lot of fears might be justified, might not. Uh, so that's why I thought of Matt. So we used to work together at the hedge fund. So I know Matt has been going through these actual earnings that, you know, we read a, a, an article about it that kind of sums it up, but he's actually living this uh, and making investment decisions also about it. So I thought, and, and also Matt is involved uh, with kind of big data, both in his, uh, he uses it for investment decisions, but also as part of companies that uh, distribute it. So I thought he'd be the perfect person to kind of come tell us what he's seeing on the inflation front. Sure. And I, and I think, you know, the inflation topic is obviously very relevant. I, I think it is notable that you already brought up the fact that people have forgotten how to deal with this and, and forget the forget the macroeconomists and the policymakers. Yeah. Just think about the actual companies, the people right. who are doing the planning of the companies or the analysts within the, the equity markets or fixed income markets that have to analyze that information. Right. And we can always, there's plenty of nuance to absolutely everything, but we can start, you know, at the extremes. And we have like, if we want to talk about the macro numbers, I mean, you know, used car prices in the CPI, which are whatever, three and a half ish percent of the CPI, they're up 50% over the course of the year. They've done 10% just in the, the first half of April. Right. And so that's, you know, 10% times 3% is uh, 30 basis points <laughs> sequentially in CPI, which you can annualize that as, you know, more than 3%, right? Just, just, just driven by used car prices, right? So, so obviously you don't, you know, the time series doesn't bring it through the year, but effectively you have these sort of bulges um, as if you had a, a, a hose that had a weak part in it, right? Where stuff is just coming out and it's affecting a lot of different elements. And so when we look across, everyone has, has historically focused a lot on, What's been exciting to the to the markets have consistently been these kind of secular growers, right? After 2008, we went into this period where there wasn't so much economic growth. There was a lot of stimulus. We had to think through who was going to win. And, and of course, mobile phones were proliferating and they were getting more widely accepted. So software and services and all that stuff grew. And now we're sitting here and saying, geez, we have a recovery coming out of COVID that looks more cyclical. We're not sure if there's going to be growth on the back end, but it's actually behaving like a cyclical rally where we're seeing materials come up. I mean, there, there's folks and it's, and it's in stuff that you don't necessarily think about uh, s- steel prices. Well, that's great. Um, they're up. We know that uh, it's not particularly insightful, 
but companies like Whirlpool are doing record sales. Are they going to be able to pass that pricing through? Right. And how do we actually see consumer responding to that? And are we going to start to see some demand responses? We actually taper the calculation of the macro numbers. So there's a lot of in, um, interlocking pieces there. Um, and I think no one knows how to deal with it at any level. So as we've looked through a lot of the earnings and as we've looked through a lot of the content that's that's out there, you know, we sort of trying to think, how do you how do you put these elements into a real world environment and how do you think through them? And so framing those opportunities um, to make investments is key. And, and like I said, when you're looking at companies that bend steel, they are having record earnings, but the stocks are not necessarily responding to the upside. So we're starting to see that implication in the market as well. Yeah, that's really been the, the story of uh, the earnings season, the first quarter. The, the first quarter earnings have been quite good, but we've just seen very muted stock reactions, uh, both for things that make things and also, uh, you know, banks that lend. Uh, it's kind of like a, Things are good, but the future is a little uncertain. <laughs> are they trying to get ahead on the prices on some of this stuff? I'm reminded, I mean, on the on the flip side of some of this stuff, if aside from like the materials costs, I'm also like, the other end of this is the labor market, right? And right. it's a weird moment in the labor market where, you know, and, and this has been for a while, this debate around like, hey, I can't get people to work for me. And now the economists will say, we'll pay more. <laughs> And then that doesn't kind of happen somewhere somehow. And now we're having this even more weird debate of, of like, you know, people being paid to stay home. They don't want to come into work. And then people complaining about how there aren't enough workers, but, you know, we're on the back end of the recovery. I mean, it's just, some of these things are just strange and it almost feels like the muscle memory of how to adapt to changing economic conditions and this sort of stuff is, is just a little dull somehow. You're seeing a lot of, you, look, labor is not equal to inflation, obviously, but they are substantially related at certain points, right? And and we have to understand that there's really low velocity of money right now in the system, but that's changing materially. I think if you try to sort of, if, if you try to say, and again, this is not statistically the way to approach this problem. But if you try to sit down and say, how can I get my head wrapped around what's worked and what hasn't, and what would it look like if, if things were actually grinding um, at levels we would expect? I just simply took the CPI components, uh, no weightings, no fancy math, just, hey, here are the components. And I basically said, how many of them are, as a roughly eight out of 10, seven out of 10, six out of 10, it turns out eight out of 10 of those are at levels that are higher on an index level than they were last February, right? Now, the obvious ones that are not higher are airlines stays away from home, right? Things you would imagine are not higher with COVID. And then there's outliers to the upside, like rental cars, because frankly, the rental car companies either, you know, filed for bankruptcy or had to sell their fleets. So clearly there's, you know, literally a lack of supply. You can't get cars right now. So it's, it's squeezing, right? So you kind of say, okay, what is what does the real world look like? And of course, the average is much lower than the outliers that everyone wants to focus on. But if you look at the building materials and housing related stuff where you had a sprinkling of supply chain issues, a sprinkling of labor issues, right? Manufacturing the stuff and maybe it's shipping that kind of interferes with supply chain, distribution problems, raw material costs, and you sort of put all that and where people haven't cut their spending, they've increased their spending, <laughs> right? And we could talk about how to quantify that yeah. in a minute. What is what do those look like? And we're looking at inflation. That's again inflation, not in, in aggregate. I'm talking about those particular index levels that are in the high single digits, the low teens. 
those are big, big numbers, right? So when you say, can you get ahead of that stuff? Well, sure, Whirlpool or, and friends, it doesn't matter whether it's Whirlpool or Hardy Board or any one of these folks or the PVC suppliers, they all have a different story as to how material costs have impacted them, whatever. And they have tried to get ahead of that stuff with price. But what we've seen in, in, their, in, in the beginning of this year and then even a little bit in the, in the Q4 reports was they've raised prices. They're putting through price increases, another five, another 10. They're getting the price increases. But the reality is the margins aren't going up. So the question you would ask yourself if you're the planning person or a market participant who may want be interested in those equities is what do those margins look like in 22? Forget 21. They're going to be good in 21. I don't know yeah, when it's going to yeah. fade or the back half or whatever. Who cares? The reality is, is that they're going to be, they're going to probably be lower in 22. So if I'm buying growth, am I really buying profitability growth or just, just revenue growth? Revenue growth. Yeah. So the, the muscle memory there is, is it is still there. Uh, and I think people are kind of starting to see that and you're starting to see it in the market. Um, the policy response around the labor is interesting. And, and I think, again, it's easy to get lost in the averages, but if you were to talk to the, you know, the average S and P company and and that is, that employs a whole bunch of people like the home depots of the world, you know, they have a lot of people walking around, they give a daily paycheck to, they're definitely having labor issues and they're seeing cost increases and, and really making the honest effort to try and extract all the politics from it and the benefits they're giving because they don't want to get caught up in, in you know a federal minimum wage and all the different incentives they have at the end of the day they're having trouble getting people who are qualified to show up to work right yeah the pandemic unemployment assistance in the the bill we passed uh, a couple months ago it goes through you know mid-september mm-hmm. so there are a decent amount of people who it just doesn't really make sense to go back to work right <laughs> well collect your unemployment and enjoy the summer, you know? Correct. And I think we're seeing the impacts of that. Yeah. You know, and you, you're, see, you're seeing the impacts of that. You're seeing the impacts of a slower and, and it's been a little bit muted, but now you're going to really see it start to hurt because the services businesses are opening up again. And I think yeah. we saw, we saw something pretty interesting in, in some of the, the credit card data that we, that we look at. Where, and this is again, talking in aggregate, when you have, there's ways of sampling folks and looking at their, their aggregate spending. And of course, there's no personal information or anything disclosed, but, but looking at them saying, hey, who got a stimulus check and who didn't? And then taking the folks spending patterns that were associated with uh, the spending patterns associated with those folks that did get a a stimulus check versus the spending patterns that were uh, associated with the folks who didn't. And we got you know, it's, it's a little fuzzy, but we kind of get the first, second and third stimulus. Right. And on the first one, um, you know, you can see, you can, I mean, you can see the 300% increases at the Chipotle's of the world. Right. And of course you see the spending at, you know, at Kroger and Costco when everyone was buying paper towels and for staples and that kind of stuff. Great. In the second one, um, you actually see much more, you saw Home Depot spending there, but you see much more discretionary spending around the home in the second one. You know, when we look, when we look at the third one, um, you, folks that were shut down are now seeing big jumps. The Coles and the Macy's of the world, everyone thought the business was dead, but no, people just weren't allowed to leave their house, right? So, so you have to kind of take a step back and be like, hey, you know, the government gave X hundreds of billions to the market and then basically through the stay at home mandates told you where you had to spend it. Right. And so our people <laughs> spending it, that's effectively what happened, right? They didn't mean yeah. it that way, but that's what happened. And so, so, um, 
you know, and I think I, I have to, I'd have to find it, but I know the Census Bureau put out some information about sort of spending by, by sector, um, you know, of course, and, and, and they, the first one showed food. I mean, they didn't break out the fact that the food was all Chipotle takeout, right? It's not like people were starving for groceries, right? So, so there's a lot of sort of, you have to kind of double check what's, what's being put out in those Census Bureau numbers. And so the credit card data gives us some interesting insights into that. I will say, for those people that did not get a stimulus, their spending levels are up one or two percent because they just either maybe they were home, it, they might have plenty of wealth, but they're not necessarily spending it. And for folks who did get stimulus, of course, we're seeing you know mid to high single digit discretionary spending levels, which again makes you question the validity of the stimulus. But nonetheless, that was being pushed into the economy in ways that were somewhat unforeseen. So we know that there's this discrepancy me, in spending. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, let me ask on the on the um, I guess it would be on the people who did not get the stimulus. I mean, well, I, maybe some of the sure. stuff is blurred. I mean, there's been a lot of it, talk around savings rates over sure. the course of the pandemic mm-hmm. and like discretionary. I mean, you know, travel and a whole bunch of other stuff that just mm-hmm. didn't happen. Have you guys thought about the? Uh, what's the opposite of the pull forward effect on this, the pushback of like, is that, is that going to get backloaded? And if so, does that, does that kind of play into how companies are thinking about some of this stuff and the inflationary measures and that sort of thing? It does. I will tell you with every stimulus round that's gone by, it's become harder to make those determinations, right? Because you have a whole bunch of different vectors in the mix who got it, who didn't that can change where they were able to spend it because at the beginning we knew what was open and what was closed, right? It was very easy. And then now you have in, in these, you know, again, in these sort of geographically diverse sectors, we have samples, we have, you have the state mix where, you know, the Texas and the Florida are up 30% year over year and the Californias and the New Yorks are up 10 or 15, right? You know, so you have a mix there. So, so do I think that, um, is there, is there planning, are there planning deficiencies that are going to take a while to work through? Yes. And I think the retailers are not necessarily um, fully equipped to be able to deal with it, but they, they understand the impact of the business on the business and they're trying to compensate for it, order correct inventory size for this Christmas properly. People are trying to be thoughtful about it and there'll be some hits and misses, but it, in general, it should work. The policy there's makers, so many there's yeah. so many natural experiments we're running on the economy right. at one time it's it's, it's reopening is inflationary but also our experience with covid we're going to do some deflationary things too hsbc right. announced today that they're going to shrink their their footprint especially in london by 20 percent, and they're going to cut travel by 50 percent. we realize we're able to do a lot of stuff on zoom or, or, or remotely that you you just, you know, assume we, it was because we did it the old way. That's why we did it. Now yeah. things will change. Yeah. And it's, it's very interesting to see how that will work out. Yeah. I agree that the budgets are going to come down. I also agree. So a couple factors in the broader economy, more people are going to come out, more people are going to spend, they have more cash yeah. savings will come down. That will create this great acceleration. We have constraints because of supply chain, labor, uh, materials costs, etc. That's going to make these strange squeezes. Got it. Right. Can't get and chips eventually for cars. Eventually, those supply constraints yes. will we'll fix it. People will demand re- will be able to cut the lumber. Correct. And lumber prices. Correct. Will be. Yeah. But demand response is already happening. I mean, it's going to be inflationary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have we have we look a lot at the. Well, you know, it's either going to be inflationary or it's going to eat into margins, one or the other. Correct. So so that's interesting. So so demand response has been um, 
so we'll talk about housing for a sec. We we are talking to we talk to builders regularly, and some of those folks build, you know, five hundred fifty dollars square foot beautiful homes, right? And some of them are focused on the two hundred fifty dollars square foot uh, middle income home, right, where they're trying to get it right, and they're just starting to whatever you want to call it furlough lots. They're just not going to start oh, the house. Really? Yeah, because the the reality is is the Anderson windows they want to put on. The yeah. cheaper house are made out of vinyl. And they're not, there's no margin. Yeah. In the house. They were only making 10 or 15% on it anyway. So when I say demand response, that's going to fix things. Will it take nine to 12 months? Sure. Will, will shipping coming back be very helpful? Yes. I mean, just getting some more labor yeah, to the yeah. port of LA would help, right? Yeah. Um, I know we made such a big deal about the Suez Canal, but really the story is LA. It was way more oh, LA than Suez. Yeah. Oh, it's ridiculous, right? I mean, you can't, you know, and, and, and there's plenty, there is capacity on the trains. There is availability once it gets straightened out. So, so there's, yeah. there's room for that to, to come down. Right. So that's, that's one side. And then there's, um, and then when, so that's sort of the broader piece of the economy. When you look at the more, you know, the micro factors as to what's going to happen if you reopen a restaurant right now, it's going to be very expensive because labor is tight. Yeah. Uh, even though you wouldn't necessarily think that services labor is tight and, I think we will we'll end up getting ourselves in a we will end up again doing a human experiment on the value of productivity, right? So if if this Zoom stuff happens, yeah, um, and and information workers, including salespeople, can do seven calls a day versus four meetings when they have to trudge around downtown New York City, yeah, and, maybe and they'll go give up totally on meetings, but you may be able no. to cut them down by fifty percent or something like that, yeah. right? But all of a sudden, that person's productivity is going to be up whatever a material percentage yeah. right yeah. and that's going to of course cause an income divide and an inequality which yeah. people may not necessarily properly assign um, there was a there was a so all right so i want to i want to take a break and then flip to the fed there's a story there was a story a couple of years ago i don't know if you guys remember this um new york fed president uh dudley was doing like a town hall thing and he talked about the improvements in an iPad and what you can get like an iPad one versus an iPad two and the power doubled and all this sort of stuff. And one of the people that the event said, yeah, but I can't eat an iPad. They were all (laughs) mad about prices of food. Let's take a break. And then we will come back and flip to how the fed is thinking about this and how they will, how they, what, what they're going to approach, what perspective they're going to approach this from down the road. You are listening to the macrocast. Markets Policy Partners provides sophisticated financial market analysis that is independent, accessible, and actionable for a broad audience. Learn more at marketspolicy.com or visit them on Twitter at Markets Policy. All right, we're back on the macrocast. So we talked a little bit about the inflation and the markets and companies and all the rest of the stuff, but the the the, the people in charge of that are the Fed. So, Brendan, what's what's the table setting on the Fed side of this? How are they thinking about it currently? They've obviously been talking about, they've been talking a very strong game about not being afraid of it and trying to, um, you know, I don't know, let the economy run hot out of yep. this in ways that after the last crisis was not done. But you know, it's, it's a tricky exercise to land this plane. So where, where, where do you think their heads are at now? Yeah. So, I mean, the ones to follow is obviously Powell. He's in charge and he has been as explicit as you could possibly be that 
he's not worried about inflation and, and he would actually like it to, to run over their 2% uh, core PCE target. He, he's explained that right now we're going to experience just a simple base effect. We shut the world down a month, uh, 12 months ago. So everything went down. So prices are going to be up. That will roll off. Then that's where the difficulty gets. Then what happens after the base effect? Do and that's kind of the summertime and into into the uh, into the fall. You know, are we going to see you know two and a half, two point seven percent core, and where they start get worried and and it stays that way, or are we going to like he's predicting, kind of have a big jump and then kind of settle in just above two percent where. I think he can he can handle that and the markets will take and believe him. But but there's two different policy tools that the Fed have. One is rates. I, I don't the market slightly thinks that they'll hike before the, the, the dot plot, but that's in 2023, 24. So who cares about that? What matters is the size of the balance sheet, because when you you can use communications to talk to the market about when you're going to raise rates and then the market actually prices it in for you. And, and, and it can be a smooth sale. You can't taper smoothly. The minute you say you taper, you might as well do it because the market's going to freak out. So that's where the, the, the difficulty in landing this plane is, is if inflation is running too high, the market's going to assume that you have to taper your asset purchases and reduce your balance sheet or else inflation is going to have control. And then it happened in 2013 where Bernanke started talking about tapering and we had a taper tantrum and rates went from, you know, close to one to 3%. And we had a, I think it was about 30% equity sell off. It was pretty big. So we know what's coming. The question is how, A, how much does, how much does the market believe in Powell's ability to stay the course? And more importantly, I think the question is really how high do we think inflation can get? Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. And I look, remember, as we all know, the, the PCE, the combination of the CPI and the PPI. Yeah. And the PPI, of course, has this like, it, it, it doesn't matter, but it has a margins concept in it, right? So when when you when you see gas, I'm making this up, this is not the gasoline, this isn't the core, it's just for the purpose of example. When gasoline prices go up, um, there's a component that shows it rising because that's the end, the end price that someone yeah. paid for it. But at the same time, the gas... The, the guy, the gas station owner, he experiences lower margins during a period before he can yeah. raise prices, right? So they do their honest to goodness best effort to capture that, right? So because we are having these spikes in costs, I think there is the assumption that we are going to see some offset in margins. What I think is going to, where you have opportunity for that to not realize is in some of these services places where stuff has just been shut off. You may have that experience in some of the hard goods, real goods, demand, distributors, wholesaler, margins, inventory levels, et cetera, that cause that sort of offset. But in the services, you have labor costs going up, the measurements coming back because people are actually spending yeah. again. And the reality is that people are setting everything at a new price level. So th- we may have very little. No, it's um, very interesting. I, demand. Producer, Kobe's in, in Bozeman, Montana. I was reading, it, it was a, a guy ran a pizzeria in Bozeman and he's offering $15 an hour, to, but he can't even hire someone there, but he can only offer $15 an hour because the market will only allow him to charge $20 for a pizza. 
if he charges 22, people won't buy it. So right. <laughs> he's got to take it. It, right. The most so that, he can pay is 15. Or else and that's, money. and that's the real, and that's why they have that measurement. So there is some softening there that will so offsets to inflation going crazy. We're going to yeah. see a lot of services stuff coming. So reasons it goes up, services stuff comes back, big component of it. Year over year effect carries through. We yeah. see a whole bunch of these component prices actually carry because people are willing to pay the higher price, like in wholesaling, uh, excuse me, you know, in home building, for example. And so that kind of stuff, rolls through things that can offset it are these intermediate margins and there's a whole bunch of them it doesn't really matter other decelerations of stuff stuff that's gone up too far rental car prices not not used car but rental car prices went up too far and now they're down chip yeah. shortage well, people are renting right. uh u-hauls in hawaii yeah, i saw that Hertz sold all their cars i saw that <laughs> yeah no <laughs> right so the, the the those those things rectify themselves um and then when you have other supply constraint things come back that's fine so for example we know we have a big chip shortage right now in the auto manufacturers well when there's more new you new cars that come back on more people trade in more used cars go to the auctions and all those price levels come back down they don't necessarily do it there's almost 200 chips in a a car now that's mind-boggling yeah it's a lot of silicon now um (laughs) but but my my point being is that i think everyone i think if you ask me to bet on the, the path, the reason they think there's a softening is that these things rectify themselves. They probably rectify themselves in the fall. The market is going to look at this year over year, kind of see what the Fed has to do. This takes nothing away from what Brendan said. He's exactly right. And I'm not predicting what the Fed will say. Right. But I think we are going to be in the point where we're going to be in October and November, you know, we'll be eating Thanksgiving turkey or whatever. And everyone will be realizing that inflation, actually, people might put in for more price increases next year, too. Right. Right. And so so we might actually get back to these might have this lull and then come back to these higher levels where the economy's at. So, so yeah, it could also go back to Matt's point. Inflation, while we talk about it as a, you know, an economic theory, in, in reality, what it is, is it's it's a psychological, sociological thing. It's, it's what we as consumers accept. And if you get used to three percent inflation, then you 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 can do it uh, as a company do it every year and maybe try to push it three and a half and things like that yeah i think there's valid attempts being made to do that and we know yeah. that but look we, this is you we've never had it before we've only ha- really had deflation other right. than in, in basically college and uh and healthcare yeah and i love to look at I, I i'm very simplistic about it because i think these things are so hard to measure you kind of have to look at the aggregate yeah uh, you know in in it doesn't matter the year, but in, in January, February, and March, if you see PCE core up because of price increases in, in, in uh, base goods or services, then that means people were able to raise price that year. Mm-hmm. Frankly, in years where you don't see that in January, February, March, it's not like they call someone in August, barring a special situation, yeah. right? Like the supply constraint is something specific and say, hey, I'm going to raise your prices, man. Yeah. And that but- is inflation. Your point about used cars prices, that is going to seep in through the, the PCE. But if you're the Fed, you're supposed to look through that. I, right. like, am I supposed to raise rates because we have a, a used car shortage because we went through a pandemic? No, you're supposed to say, 
just forget about that one and look at the the, the, the rest of the stuff. Yeah. It's gonna we're gonna bring Alan Greenspan back to talk about trimmed PCE. Trimmed look, you do me. I mean, like, you're gonna run. Like, so, like, I mean, that's where we're that's where we're headed because I think they're gonna have to find something to sort of be like, guys, this is how we're actually looking at the world uh, to buy themselves some time. Yeah. No. I mean, it, Matt took over, but I, I built a model that broke the the CPI and PCE down to their 400 smallest components. And it's, it's ridiculous. Some, uh, it, it doesn't happen often, but you know, once a year, a, a very small component will be up like 8% and it'll, it'll drive the overall inflation rate up uh, on that monthly, month to month. Yeah. Rate. We've been, like I said, it's been whack-a-mole with that stuff for the last yeah. year and it's all over the place. Um, you know, but like I said, directionally, a bunch and, and of both up and down, sometimes right. things went way down here. Correct. Uh, but, so, I mean, just, so what do you, correct. do you guys think that the timeline for judgment on some of this stuff is like the holiday season at the end of the year is that like because there's going to be it just feels like there's going to continue to be a lot of noise around this over the duration of 2021 as we Mm -hmm. get these i don't know fits and starts of reopening slash people getting back to normal spending habits i mean there's just a lot of variability between now and then what's what's the what's the timeline that like the fed is targeting to really think about this in a material way and how should markets incorporate that into their thinking? I, I get the sense more the market is pushing. The Fed doesn't want to do anything. <laughs> they don't want to have to change their, their uh, guidance, especially on the size of the balance sheet. The, the market is, a, is kind of pushing them that the, the summertime is, the, is, the, is reckoning where it, it, you can't be so dovish and assume that you're going to uh, be ultimately accommodative on the, uh, the balance sheet time frame but I, I i if i don't think the fed wants to to rush that <laughs> but they might have to i don't know what are you seeing matt i again i agree on that everyone is waiting for the data everyone is going to look at these next couple of results and see oh my gosh the sequential numbers are, are big forget the right. over year because the base effect is let's move on from the base effect we all know it's there um and then having to think through how how to think about it is going to be is going to be tough. And the, the question is, do we end up in a situation where there's nowhere to hide, right? You have the used car stuff, you have, you know, or things like the used car stuff. Um, but you have rents, healthcare, used vehicles, discretionary services, which are coming back. There will be the, the nothing for a little while that offsets them until there's demand responses, right? And so, uh, you, you are, you are probabilistic distribution is an over higher to an overshoot than an undershoot. I think the market is struggling to digest that. Yeah, and I yeah. think the fed is going to, if you ask my opinion, they're going to do everything to stretch out their timing. And they're going to say, Hey guys, look at the trimmed mean. It's, you know, it's still less than one eight or whatever the number it's one six or so right now. So I'm saying less than one eight. Um, and, and we have a ways to go while we work through these outlier and supply chain effects. So we're going to have to revisit it in the spring or whatever, when we have better color, you know, I think they'll, they'll be as, as vague as they possibly can for as long as they can. Yeah. I, I mean, I also think, I think politics plays a little bit of a role in the Fed too. And, and I think it was part of the reason why Jenny Yellen is a treasury secretary. If rates go up and the equity market goes down, the, the Democrats have zero chance in 2022. So the, the, the Democrats really need the Fed to, to stay on hold, uh, you know, and I, I, a lot of, a lot of the members of the Fed, I think are on board, but not everybody. Yes. That's beyond my area of expertise on the politics crossover, but I think that's it's 
it's relevant because people are going to not, people are going to feel better for a while. And then when the price increases actually hit them in the wallet and we start and we go, if we head back to a nominal GDP growth, that's lower, um, that then people are going to be not too pleased pretty quickly. Well, one thing, one thing that I do know is that this podcast will still cost $0 in (laughs) this summer when we are back talking about inflation, but I, I, I need to leave content for then. So let's, let's leave it there. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Brendan, for for tuning in. We'll talk to everybody later this week on the regular Friday Macrocast. Thanks, guys. All right, gents. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the HPS Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share.